We open the Bible together tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. We'll read that chapter, verse 11 of the chapter will be our text. I was asked by a member in our congregation to preach a sermon from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Reading God's Word in Ecclesiastes 3, the theme of the book, All is Vanity in This Life Without, if one is without the knowledge, love, and trust of God. Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in all that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place, 
all, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? May God give us understanding tonight in his holy word. Let's read the text one more time, verse 11. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the heart of this word of God for us tonight is the truth, the marvelous truth, the comforting, the beautiful truth of providence. Providence is the teaching of the Holy Scripture in all of its part, parts. It's the teaching of God's almighty hands are upon the creation that he has made. That his hands are never absent to uphold all things and through his own eye to direct all things absolutely in his own wisdom of heart and always aimed at one goal or one purpose, his own glory and our glory in Jesus Christ, his Son. Providence is the truth that he leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, where'er I be, where'er I go, still tis my God that leadeth me, who holds me and directs all things that befall me, both good and evil, every moment of my life, wisely ordained in highest wisdom and in eternal love, all to lead to that moment of his glory and to that moment of the revelation of his grace and his wisdom in my life. There is no chance there is no fate for the child of God. There is the doctrine, the living doctrine, the comforting doctrine for you and for me tonight of God's providence. This is the banner that is being set up over this passage in the opening verses, verses 1 through 8, in which we are told of many events contrasting 14 couplets of events, both good and evil, both pleasant and unpleasant, both joyful and burdensome to us, when we laugh and when we weep, when there's prosperity and when there's poverty, when there's life and when there's death, when there's mental health and there is mental agony, when there is physical health and when there is sickness, when our hearts are joyful in the Lord as he blesses us, and when our hearts are weighed down and we cannot look up, all of these things come from God al alone, ordained perfectly in our life, compassionately in our life, 
out of his great faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ to work the highest and greatest of ends. In this passage, providence is not being described as in Jeremiah, as the hands of a potter and the clay upon the wheels being turned and God with his hands smoothly changing us and forming us into a vessel. That's not the picture. But here the picture is of up and down, as if life is a roller coaster, things good and bad, apparently no rhyme or reason, which of ourselves would cast us into despair. And yet God, God who is God, working all things for our good, so that we need not be anxious, and we must not be murmuring, and we must not feel hopeless, but as the passage is going to show us, we must be humble, submissive, patient, waiting, hoping. Do every season and time, verse 1 tells us, there is a purpose under heaven. Under heaven, every season, that's a chunk of time in your life, and to every moment, specific time, there is a purpose from heaven. We want to apply that tonight to ourselves, to our own personal lives, we want to apply that to ourselves as a congregation in this world. We want to apply that to ourselves because we live such a fast-paced, busy life. Life becomes a blur. Everything sweeps along. And we do not pay attention to what really is going on in our lives and the real purpose for, for our life. We're constantly ready to do the next thing. We constantly say, if only I can get through this. We do not stop and pause as we ought that God is working a perfect way in our life which is aimed at eternity, our greatest good, his glory, and is all rooted in his own eternal wisdom and love for us in Christ. So we'll consider tonight this passage under the theme he has made everything beautiful in his time. And we're going to follow for our points three words, not necessarily all of them are in the text, but there are three words that will sum the text in its progression. Those words are beauty. The second word is eternity. The word in verse 11, world, second clause. Also, he hath set the world in their heart. The word world there is eternity. He has set eternity in their heart. So beauty, eternity, and then humility. Beauty, humi eternity, and humility. So let's first see the context again and point out to you again that we have a in the first eight verses you have the contrast being shown between things pleasant and things grievous to us, God's providence of those things that are uncontrollable, unpredictable, that come to us of every conceivable circumstance that we will face, both good and bad, that's 
the context, and then if you're looking at the scripture, if you have your Bible open, after that contrast of all the things that come to us in this life under the hand of God, then at verses 9 through 11, we have two responses to that. The first response, the wrong response of despair, and then our text is a response to verses 1 through 8, the response of faith. So in those opening verses, we have a time to be born, a time to die. There's a time in our lives when as a young man, young married man, you see that first child born, just after they're born, they're being cleaned off and you embrace this child. There's a time to be born. And then perhaps on the same day, there's the death of your father and the funeral that you attend. There's a time for you to plant, to be busy, productive, bringing forth things. But there's also a time in your life that all that you've done is plucked up and thrown away. There's a time in your life, in my life, to kill, to kill our sins. And there's a time for us to be healed in the mercies of Jesus Christ. There's a time that we weep under the, the trials of this life and the sorrows of this life and death. We weep. We are broken. And there's also a time that God restores us and we laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. One of them is there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. That's a reference to the fact that when an enemy would come, they would put stones in the way of that enemy, gather those stones together to prevent their progress. And then when the enemy was gone, they would take those stones away. There are many different things that happen up and down. And what then will be the response that we make? Verses 9 through 11, the two responses. And verses 9 and 10, if your eye is upon them now, is the wrong, unbelieving, pessimistic, fatalistic response. Verses 9 and 10 give fatalism in response to God's sovereign providence and direction of all things in this life. Fatalism sees those 14 couplets in verses 1 through 8, sees 14 going up, sees 14 going down, and says the result is zero. It's pointless. It's meaningless. What's the point of it all? There's a baby in your arms. But there's postpartum depression. There's a joy of a wedding. And there's unfaithfulness and clashes and, and pain in a marriage. There's the work of a mother. But the next day, the same work has to be done again with little appreciation. There's a work of a father. You've worked hard in your business. You've gotten, you've gained. But something comes out along outside of your control and you've lost it all. All your work is done in this life. It all ended up to be nothing. There's health, and then there's disability that we're in a wheelchair. 
We pray for a child, a dear child who we love, and we see some improvement, and then suddenly it just gets worse and worse, so that the response of verses 9 through 10 is the response of fatalism. It's the same response that Jacob gave when his sons returned from Jacob the first time, and Simeon had been kept as a prisoner by Joseph. And now they were saying that they can't go back without taking precious Benjamin with them the next time. And Jacob simply responded, all these things are against me. The response of fatalism, the response of looking only with these eyes. Our text is the right response. It's the response of grace. It's the response of faith. It's the response of hope. Our text is looking at the same events the same events through a different lens. Lens of faith in God. The lens of embracing the truth of the covenant of grace with the almighty God and that nothing can separate us from his hands and that all things are working for good. I may not see it. I may not be able to comprehend it. Often we can't see it. And often we do not comprehend it. Often we become frustrated, angry, and despairing. But faith sees it. Faith sees it because of the gospel. When we see the gospel, that means that we're seeing Bethlehem. We see Bethlehem, the eternal Son of God, come in our flesh to take our sorrows and our griefs upon him. Faith goes on and sees it at Calvary when he offers up himself in our stead to abolish our guilt and to deliver us from the power of sin. Faith continues to look and then sees an open tomb. Jesus Christ is risen bodily from the dead. Then faith goes on and sees the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one to whom we are united right now, is now at the right hand of God, ruling over all things. And faith responds, it's not hopeless. It's not without rhyme or reason. It's not senseless. It's not nothing for nothing. But every hour of sorrow and despair and every blessing of joy and happiness is all directed in a way that is best. It is best for me. If you see only contrasting chains of events and have no hope in God, then you despair. Then you don't really want to ask, what am I doing with my life? How am I living? What is life all about? You don't want to ask those questions. But if you hope in God, you are comforted in divine power and divine wisdom over your life. The text says a beautiful work of God is being done. He hath made everything in the context, verses 1 through 8. He's made everything, good and bad, beautiful in his time. Just look at that briefly. 
He's made everything beautiful. The word beauty here is not the word that, is not the idea that we commonly associate with beauty. When I say the word beauty, we probably think of aesthetic beauty. Of that which is beautiful. We think perhaps of our favorite flower, our favorite spot. We think of lofty snow-capped mountains and we think of a beautiful beach and a sunrise coming up over the waters and we respond with the hymn, then sings my soul, my God, how great thou art. But that's not the word beauty here. It's not aesthetic, but it's more like fitting, harmonious, connected, well thought out, beautiful in the sense that everything is exactly in place and everything is connected to the other in a wise way to produce an end in sight. An example perhaps that I could give you is the inside of your laptop or your old stand-up computer if you ever took it apart and you looked inside of it. The first word was not aesthetic beauty. You see all these gizmos and, and dingy things and all the rest and you say, what is that? But to a programmer, to someone who, who has designed this, he would say it's beautiful. Everything is exactly where it needs to be so that it works and accomplishes the purpose in mind. If I would say for you to take, if I would pull out of my wallet and show you pictures of the inside of my intestines, you would say that's not aesthetic beauty. No, but it is. It all works because the divine God in marvel has made our body perfectly. And that's the word beauty here. Beauty in the sense of connected, well thought out, working together, leading to a good purpose. So our lives, your life, your family, your circumstances, that the events of this day and the events of the past week and of all of your life, all things through faith is seen to be fitting, connected, well thought out. Solomon is seeing the topsy-turvy of life, the storms and the peace of life, and he sees design. He doesn't, we don't see just design in the creation all around us. Oh, do we see it? It is marvelous. But we see design and wisdom and intent in the events of our own life. It did not just happen. We don't believe in evolution in our lives. It just is, is happening, going who knows where? But the same design in the creation and in all things we see in, of God in our own lives. But you can't see it with these eyes. There must be that regenerating grace and light of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so we sang when Israel went into the Red Sea, trembling earth, stormy seas, 
pounding thunder and lightning waves. Moses said, go forward. That's what they saw. None understood. Nobody understood. But God alone to man, thy footsteps were unknown. But safe thy people thou didst keep, almighty shepherd of the sheep. He has made everything beautiful in his time. No exceptions. Cancer. Sudden, tragic, hurtful death. Being hurt, abused, and afflicted. Being hurt by those who are around you. A family that is filled with chaos. It doesn't mean that we look at any of those things and become simply hardened and, and careless and no pain to me, no skin off my back. No, those are painful. Death, hurts, mental depression, psychological suffering, sickness of a child, events over which we can do nothing. We don't say, oh, that's beautiful. We don't say that. It's not beautiful. It's hard. It's painful. It's grievous. It's agony. But God says, I've put everything in your life exactly into the place that it needs to be for your highest good and for the glory and for my plan that Christ alone in that day is exalted in your life and in the church. The word beauty in Scripture, also here, both in Old and New Testament, the word beauty, when you read it in the Bible, always is a derivative of another word, and that word is grace. The heart meaning of the word beauty in Scripture, old and new, is the word grace. Psalm 84, the Lord will give grace and beauty or glory Grace and beauty, God's beauty that he brings through everything is to show his grace, to show the power of his grace, to show that his, life, his grace is undeserved by us, to show us that we are nothing and can do nothing without him everything in your life everything is there to display the power of his grace in Christ he has made everything beautiful in his time it doesn't say my time Beloved, God does not work on our clock. God does not meet your and my deadlines. God doesn't get this done quick. God does not consider first what would suit 
my own desires. We say to him, Lord, now's the time. It's time for you to work. We say to him, Lord, if you're there, then you'll understand that you have to be done, it has to be done this way. But God doesn't work on our time. He works on his. And one day, and also tonight, but one day for sure, you're going to thank him. You're going to thank him when you see that perfect plan laid out before your eyes. You're going to be very thankful that he didn't switch and follow your timeline in your way. For he is God. God does not conform to our expectations of him. He conforms us to his. For he is God. God says very often to us, no, not now, not now. God works everything beautifully, bringing forth his grace in his time. The second word that we want to look at is eternity. We read in the next clause of verse 11, also he, God, has set the world in their heart so that they cannot find out the work of God from beginning to end. If the world is in your heart, you will not be able to make head or tails of God's providence. If the world is in our heart tonight, the things of the world tonight, if that's number one, then we won't be able to make any sense, any comfort over God's providence in our lives. The King James translators have said that that word world is eternity, and I'll explain more in a moment. But the King James translators, knowing that, evidently had a reason. They had a reason for translating it world. And the point, their reason is this, as I've said, that when the world around us, the sinful, vanishing world around us, is the thing that's in our hearts. Ourselves are the thing in our hearts, or the world around us, or what the world can give to us, or how we look to others. If that's what's in our hearts, we can't make out the beauty of providence. Providence is a shut book to us. It's closed. It's sealed. It will be a, you will not have comfort if the world is in our hearts. If this life, if the things of this life, if the goals of this life, if the supposed treasures of this life, if what the world gives out as rewards, if what the world can give you, if that's what's in your heart, You will not find out God's work in your life from beginning to end. You'll never be able to see it. The plan of God's gracious providence is unreadable. It's more than just unreadable to us if the world is in our hearts. 
It's an obstacle. God's providence is often an obstacle to us. If the world is in our hearts. If the world is in our hearts, then I will say to his providence, you have denied me what I wanted. You have even denied me what is closest to my heart. You've taken it away from me. And that's a true statement. Yes, that's exactly what God by his providence often does to us. I wanted to go to that school. I wanted this career. I wanted this house. I wanted an income of this number. I wanted that man to be my husband. I wanted that woman to be my wife. I wanted this success. I wanted this wonderful world that I had thought would be so important to me. And you'll say, God didn't give it to me. Now let me back up. Let me just pause here a moment. Yes, beloved, that's true. But by the power of God's grace, believing in providence, we may say, God did not give me this that I wanted, and God did not give me this and this and this. And then we immediately add, and we confess it with joy. He gave me something better. He gave me better what I was supposed to do, my career. He gave me better man. He gave me a better woman. They're the ones I had, and they are better. Because God is good, and God is wise. But apart from that perspective, providence will be an obstacle. We'll complain about everything. Didn't give me the children I wanted. Didn't give me the ease that I wanted. If the world is in our hearts, then you are not going to have peace with God's providence. You can't. We can't. We cannot live in peace if covetousness of this life and what my own heart would want of itself if that rules, we can't have peace. Yet the word is not world. The word is eternity. God has placed eternity in their hearts. It's the Hebrew word olam, which is translated ages. And the King James wanted to translate the word ages in human age, the age of this present world. But the word is never translated that way in the Old Testament. It's always translated eternity. So it would say God has placed eternity in man's heart. And that simply means that God has placed into every man and woman's heart, every child, every human being, 
the knowledge of life or existence after death. That they, you and I, have a never-ceasing existence and that God has placed that in us. The knowledge that we must exist after this life in some state. God has placed it in the heart. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God has evidence to all men through the creation that He is, that He is the Creator, and that from the creation men know what? They know His eternal power and Godhead. In, in, in within, man knows God is eternal, and knowing God is eternal, they know that they must stand eternally after this life in some state before God. He has placed eternity in their hearts. How has God done this? He has done this when the Bible teaches us that he made us body and soul. Genesis 2 verse 7, God made them out of the dust of the ground and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. He made us human beings to live on this earth and man became a living soul. And the soul is that part that God creates at the moment of conception that must always, the soul must always stand in a position toward God, either good or bad. It cannot cease to be. A soul cannot be obliterated. You cannot destroy a soul. At death, it is not destroyed. It stands before God who gave it. It stands either eternally as a monument. Our souls will either eternally be a monument to his grace. Or apart from Jesus Christ, our souls will exist eternally as a monument to his perfect righteousness and justice and holiness and wrath. He has set eternity in our souls, in our hearts, in our hearts, in our consciousness, that he has made us a living soul. Now, why is, why is this being said? Because it's being said because God's providence is aimed at eternal life. God's providence is organized and directed by his infinite wisdom, not taking this life as the end all, but seeing that this life is only preparatory for that life which is to come. God's providence tells us that our lives are being directed for eternity. We are very myopic. We are focused on the now. We're taken up in this life. The 24 hours of the day, the goals. This life, this life. What about me in this life? 
and God knows about our life, and he says, as I take care of the sparrows, I'll take care of your life. I will be with you in your life. But God says, I'm not taken up with it. That's not the end all to me. The end to me is unending, blissful, fullness of joy, perfect rest, peace, joy, fullness of joy that is to be found at my right hand in eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what I'm aiming at. All the events, all the happenings, all the sorrows, all the sudden words of news that cast us into despair, that break us in our hearts, is all aimed at that which is infinitely blessed and eternal when we shall see his face in Christ eternally and be satisfied. This life is not pointless. This life is not a place where there's no rhyme or reason. Do what you want. It doesn't matter. You die, you're done. That's unbelief. That's atheism. This life is being directed for us through the grace of Jesus Christ for something far better. That we might be to the praise of the glory of his grace in those ages that are to come in which Ephesians 2 verse 7 he will reveal to us the riches of his grace, mercy, and love. If we have no hope in Christ, then this life cannot be known. Then the knowledge of eternity, deep down, that I can't deny, men may deny it, but they can't. God made them, made us this way then the knowledge of eternity is something that I want to brush aside. I don't want to talk about that. It frightens me. I push it away. I deny it. I get very bold and belligerent about it. There is no such thing. Then I follow the behavior of the world, and I look, even on the Sabbath, for that which is only of the earth to give me contentment. If we have set our hearts against God, then we cannot understand God's providence, but we have no peace. Then we will try to fill our soul. That's what Jesus said. The rich man said, take thine ease, O my soul, with all my goods. Find ease. And he tried to stuff his soul with the things of this life. And he thought this would give him achievement. This would give him peace. This would give it to him. And Jesus said, Thou fool. The world is passing. And so are we. 
by that wonderful grace of God, which is not shown to us simply when we die, but it's shown to us in this very night, through faith in Jesus Christ, that gift of his grace, by that wonderful knowledge of God's grace, we understand our life. Do you understand your life tonight? Does God unlock for you and show you the reason? Not the details, but does he give you the comfort? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. More, the afflictions of this present time work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. They are organized by God. They are directed by God to bring that great weight of glory. Our chastenings for our sin are not pointless, vindictive. God is not vindictive when he chastens us. Those chastenings are designed to bring forth a peaceable fruit. So that leads us to the last word, humility. God tells us this to humble us so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God's providence is his supreme wisdom. He does not ask us nor need us to be his counselors. We cannot find this out. We believe this. We believe it as a little child. We believe this as those who belong to Christ, who, is, who are one of his sheep. This should not trouble us that we can't comprehend God's providence now, can't figure it all out from the beginning to the end. We can't do that. That shouldn't trouble us because we can't figure out any of God's works. Men pride themselves in their knowledge of the creation, history, mathematics, telescopes, peering out into space. What do we know of the works of God? Point zero 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 one percent if that much of what God has wrought for those who love him Solomon is saying the response to God's beautiful providence is humility we recognize our limits we are content as a father, as a child in father's arms. It's enough. It's more than enough. To know that we are in the hands of our heavenly father through Christ Jesus, that's enough. We can then recite God's beautiful work. We can look behind us and we can see it by faith, that dark night of tears that was, we were believing was going to be the end. It would consume us. We could not go through this. 
that God's grace was sufficient. He was faithful to you. He's always faithful to you. Where would you be? Where would I be? Where would you be tonight if it were not for him? Think about your life and all the foolish, proud things we've done. Where would we be if it were not for him? Oh, what God has done. How wonderful is his work. Humility gives us to understand the purpose of our life, brings us comfort in life. Verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, that is to figure them, I'll try to figure this out humanly, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. He's saying we must humbly submit in reverence to God and then we're ready to do good. Then we're ready to do good in our marriage, in our family, in raising our children, in serving the church, in encouraging our fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to love God in all that we do, to humbly, confidently wait upon Him to know that He is leading me tonight, that I'm not lost to Him, that things aren't out of control as far as He is concerned. We don't come to Him to demand an explanation of this ditch, of this problem that I'm in. Why? But we humbly wait and trust and rest in God who's working all things beautiful in his time. Do you know what's happening tonight, today, tomorrow in your life? Do you know? He is making all things beautiful in his time. Amen. Father, we can only stammer at the wonderful truths of thy word. We love thy word. It is one book to us. It is the book of thee, thy sovereignty, glory, grace, and wisdom. Unimaginable grace that we should belong to thee and be thy children. Comfort our hearts. Give us not only comfort and contentment, but give us zeal to serve thee without fear. In Jesus' name, amen.